0: Part two Chapter Six of Better Angel by Richard Meeker This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Better Angel by Richard Meeker. Part two, Chapter Six. Christmas. It was not a white Christmas, and Kurt's parents bewailed the fact. It was cold but the heavy clouds held no promise of snow. An unusual season, everyone agreed. Inside the Gray's house, everything possible had been done to make up for the unaccommodating weather. Mrs. Gray had hung wreaths of holly in the windows, and paper bells on the chandeliers. In the front bay window, just as when he was a little boy, was a Christmas tree shining with tinsel and paper stars. On Christmas Eve they all went to church for the big tree. Kurt saw the familiar barrenness of the place with an amused smile. He received the greetings of the people who knew him pleasantly. They were good people. Such badness as they were guilty of was unwitting. Stupidity was their greatest sin. And if you looked at the church simply as a club of some sort, stripping it of its spiritual pretenses, it was no more and no less baneful than the odd fellows or the eastern star. Spirituality! What was it? He was conscious of it in himself, without conceit, and conscious of a lack of it in most of these dull-eyed faces around him. Yet they were religious, and he was not. Who has art has also religion, and who has not art let him have religion, flashed through his mind and made him smile at the hopelessness of ever making these people understand, so simple and obvious a truth. It made him seem a conceited snob, but he knew it to be true. A group of tow headed children, dressed in starchy white and proudly conscious of their new shoes and ties and ribbons, were singing a whining little song about sheep and a star and a baby. He thought of Shantz, Shantz of the shining glasses and the steamy voice, and of his own youth and the stormy emotions of those days. He looked curiously about him, and in the choir, here and there, in the congregation, he could pick out boys and girls, as old now as he had been then. It's they. They are the ones. What are they thinking and feeling? If I were brave enough, I would know them all. Their armor isn't riveted yet. They could be saved. Saved. The words of Chance and the words of his own mind mingled strangely. Come to Jesus. Come to beauty and understanding. Let beauty come into your hearts. You boys, you girls, your young sweet souls, white bodies. Who will come? Who will come? All young, all beautiful, come to Jesus. Come to beauty and be saved. No, there was not enough courage in him. But I will not lose this, he promised himself. I will not ever lose this. Christmas and his brief vacation passed quickly enough. There was much to talk about for a time, much he could tell his father and mother of New York, where they had never been. Then the time began to drag a bit, and he became eager to return to his work. He had a letter from David, full of regret, that they had been unable to meet during the holidays. From Chloe he heard nothing. Then three days after Christmas and four before his departure for the East, a letter came from Detroit in a hand he did not recognize. He opened it, and the signature Roy confronted him. His heart skipped a beat, and he put the letter hurriedly into his pocket, and, at the first opportunity, went to his room. He read it, his fingers trembling. It told him briefly that Chloe had filed suit for divorce. But it told him further THAT WHEN PRESSED FOR A REASON, SHE HAD SAID, BECAUSE I LOVE Kurt." ROY WANTED A MEETING THE FOLLOWING DAY IN GRAND RAPIDS. WHAT DID IT MEAN? WHY SHOULD SHE ADMIT TO ROY WHAT SHE WOULD NOT avow TO HIM? HE WISHED HE KNEW ROY BETTER. WOULD THERE BE A SCENE? HE FELT SINGULARLY INCOMPETENT AND WEAK. THERE WAS NOTHING FOR IT, OF COURSE, BUT TO MEET HIM, AS HE SUGGESTED. AND YET IT WOULD BE DIFFICULT TO MANAGE. His mother would think it strange if he were to go away for even one day of his vacation when his stay-at-home was so brief. He foresaw lies and explanations and evasions, and just now he was too nervous to concoct a likely story. He hated the whole mess. He finally went downstairs. Oh, mother, I've a letter here from a chap, a music publisher, I met once in New York. He's in Grand Rapids and wants to see me. I think, if you don't mind too much... I'd better run up first thing in the morning, I can be back by noon, and it might mean something for me. She looked her disappointment, and he hated the necessity for his untruth. But she only said, of course, dear, I hate to have you away even for a minute. You're here for such a dinky little while anyway, but you know best, and maybe as you say, you ought to see him, and you can still have some of that pork pie I was planning for your dinner tomorrow. Next day, the rain that had been threatening came down in cold sheets, lashing against the panes and freezing as it fell. His mother awakened him. "'It's a terrible day, Kurt. You'd better give up your trip to the city. I'm afraid you'll catch cold.' He sat up, awake at once. "'No, I'll go. The weather won't hurt me. But it's so cold and nasty out, dear, you mustn't go back to New York with a cold or a sore throat.' Still the worrying mother, he laughed off her remonstrances. "'You treat me like a little boy, mum," he said, feeling as he said it, very much like one. Putting on his slicker over his topcoat, he set out for the station. He arrived early in Grand Rapids and sat on a station bench waiting for Roy. He was overdue, but the trains were late due to the weather. Kurt was cold and miserable. HE HATED ROY, HE HATED CHLOE, HE HATED HIMSELF FOR ALLOWING THIS THING TO EVEN HAPPEN. THE WEDGE, THE WEDGE. WAS THIS TO BE IT AT LAST? WAS THE CALM PROGRESSION OF HIS LIFE TO BE UPSET IN THIS UTTERLY COMMON WAY? TABLOID HEADLINES JUMPING OUT BLACKLY FROM PINK PAPER, AMID THE TUMULT OF Times SQUARE, FLASHED LIKE SHOTS FROM AN ERRATIC MOTION PICTURE THROUGH HIS MIND. YOUNG MUSICIAN IN LOVE TRIANGLE composer blamed for breach oh it was sickening incredible that this should happen to him a train came pounding to a stop under the streaming iron roof kurt got up and watched the cars anxiously there there he was he swung off the last coach which had come to a stop outside the shelter he was without a hat and wore knickers he arrived before kurt breathless shaking the rain from his coat "'and turning down his collar. "'Hello. Gee, what a day. "'It was sunny in Detroit early this morning. "'Not at all like Christmas, so I came as I was.' "'Kurt managed to say the expected things. "'It was damn cold on the car. "'Can't we get a cup of coffee somewhere and talk as we eat? "'I'm froze.' "'His teeth were chattering. "'He was more nervous than cold, Kurt knew, "'and that gave him some encouragement.' They went to a station restaurant and drank in silence. You're looking well, Roy. Yeah? Say, where can we talk? There was nothing for it but the waiting room. It was a sorry place, an unsympathetic place, but the rain was coming down harder than ever, and the walks, the poles, the wires were glazed with ice. They took a bench in the far corner of the room, near a pounding radiator, facing the wall yellow and gray above the streaked wainscot. Neither spoke for a moment. Let him start, thought Kurt. He must start. What will it be? What will he have to say? Well, Roy was hesitant. His fingers played nervously with the buttons on his coat. Gosh, I'm still cold. Well, there's just one question I've got to ask, I guess. You know what's happened between me and... about her wanting a divorce, I mean if she were free would you marry her no no roy i've never thought of such a thing liar liar he had of course he had but never seriously only in the world of make-believe this fictional world of his letters and chloe's in which they were paper men and paper women manipulated at will thinking in a fictionally right way behaving always with the logic of the world of romance but perhaps Chloe had been serious. If he could only explain all this to Roy, if he could only say, See here, can't you understand it's Derry I love? Derry and David? I thought not. You see, I was just about floored when I got wind of all this. I knew we hadn't been hitting it off very well, of course, but I thought she loved me. And I love her, Kurt, I really do. And if she goes through with this, it will finish me. "'I haven't got much of a reputation in my field yet, "'so it won't help what I have got "'if it gets around that I'm being sued for non-support. "'It's that that hurts me. "'I've... I've not been well. I'm not now. "'You can see how nervous I am, and she... oh, hell!' "'Kurt listened, without comment. "'Let him say it all. "'Well, I went out to Ann Arbor to see her right away. "'Mrs. Grayling met me like a thundercloud "'and sailed out of the room.' I'll bet she listened in too, damn her. I wasn't mean, but I guess I was a little excited. I asked her if she thought she was giving me a square deal, asked her what I've done that she didn't like. She wouldn't say anything, and wouldn't sit down or ask me to, just stood there, white and so damn superior, while I kept on talking and asking her what was the big idea. Finally she sort of wilted, and went right down on the floor in a heap. If you must know, she said, "'It's because I love Kurt. "'Gosh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. "'I guess I stammered a little. "'She went on then, sort of crying, "'said you were someone she could admire, "'someone who understood her, "'that I had never been, "'that she had always loved you, "'and you would marry her as soon as you could. "'Well, I just walked out after a while. "'Couldn't do anything else. "'I was pretty sure she was wrong.' He seemed anxious to keep Kurt from embarrassment, and Kurt was grateful. You've written her, I know. Yes, of course. We've been friends a long while. I know. But I know your sort and Chloe's, better than she'll admit. You're what they call the artist type. Women fall for you. To my kind, you'll always seem just a little nutty. You'll excuse me for saying this right out. It always seemed to me a little phony, a little put on all this high-brow stuff. And I thought I could laugh Chloe out of it and bring her down to earth. I couldn't. The more I kidded her, the worse she got. She thinks you're worth admiring, and I'm not. That's all. I sell advertising in Detroit, and you write music in New York. So you're an artist, and I'm a babbitt. That's what she's cracked over. Kurt started to interrupt. No, I know. You are, of course. Oh, maybe she's not been happy. Maybe I've not been pleasant all the time. But when she gets on that damn superior manner of hers, it makes me sore. And I suppose I rub it in. It seems to me like a lot of hooey. But I do love her, Gray. They could never hit it off, thought Kurt. Roy continued. I don't know what to do. I've thought about it all the way over here this morning. If I'm right, and I'm pretty sure I am, you're the only one who can patch this thing up. "'You know I'll do anything I can, Roy. "'Well, I figure it this way. "'See if I'm not right. "'She's hipped on that idea of your being an artist, "'with ideals and everything. "'All right. "'If we could jolt her out of that, it might fix things. "'I mean, couldn't you write her and tell her "'what you're doing is just a lot of hokum? "'And you're just in it to fool the world "'into giving you a big graft. "'Oh, it's not true, of course. "'It's not true,' he added hastily, "'sensing Kurt's instinctive shrinking at the idea.' But couldn't you do it he thinks it is true i can understand chloe now and roy too how dare he ask me that why doesn't he look somewhere else can't he see that this is as important to me as his happiness is to him it would be sacrilege an unspeakable betrayal and yet he was sorry for roy in a way he knew in his heart that he should do this thing Yet he knew at the same time that it would never work out as Roy planned. He knew Chloe too well, and she him. It won't work, Roy. I think it will. She won't know I've seen you, see. That's part of the scheme. Let her think all this comes on your own. You've been thinking it over, see, and decided. It seemed an impossible request. It was smashing such an important part of his world. Yet there was a chance that it might work. Any outsider would say so, he felt. Would it? Wasn't there something deeper? If there were, could he destroy it so cold-bloodedly? Wasn't it possible that, with love or without it, Chloe's faith in him meant more to her than any relation she might have with Roy? It seemed a preposterously conceited thought, yet wasn't it possible? Still, he was sorry for them both. Should he do it? "'I don't think it will work, Roy. I can't explain, for you wouldn't understand, "'which probably sounds exactly like what you're used to hearing from Chloe, but it's true. "'If you want me to write the letter, though, I'll do it. I don't know how good an actor I am.' "'And in his own mind he added, when it comes to abasing myself, "'Good boy, Kurt. I do think it will work. If it won't, it's all up with us. "'And you're a good scout to do it for me, whatever happens.' Oh, forget it. I'm not going to help you much, I'm afraid. I am sorry for all this, Roy." He felt a traitor to his own cause. How could Roy calmly ask such a thing of him? It would be cruel and untrue. He was glad when the announcer shouted, "'Hastings! Charlotte! Lansing! Detroit! board!" And Roy disappeared on the train. He paced the platform for a half-hour, waiting for his own train and wondering why he had been such a fool as to promise that absurd letter. He tried to phrase it, but it seemed, however he worded it, glaringly false and insincere. What will come of this? What will come of this? He was hazy about divorces and trials and the law, but he knew they sometimes involved scandal and ugliness. It would kill his mother. His head whirled with fear of what might happen. With remorse for all his innocent literary philandering, with regret at his promise, with what he should tell his father and mother of his trip to the city, nothing was clear. He only knew that he was desperately sad and sick and leaden with unhappiness. Dinner, a little late to accommodate his train, was a torturing half-hour. What he said about his interview with the non-existent publisher he never knew, It was an effort to eat, to talk, to look at his mother. "'What's wrong, son? You're not eating much. You ought to be hungry after a jaunt in weather like this.' She said it in a half-dozen different ways. He praised the pork pie and tried to reassure her, knowing all the time that he was not succeeding. When his father had gone back to the store, he went up to his room, shut the door, and opened his desk. Even the paper looked accusing.' He chewed the end of his pen. At last he wrote, Dear Chloe, I've been thinking of what you told me the other night and wondering if we all weren't fooling ourselves. What is there to all our vaunted idealism? Sounds like a Fourth of July oration. Our art with a big A. I look at myself and wonder how genuine it is and how much of it is just a veneer. A lot, I guess. It's the money I'm after don't dare think what you are writing. The rest doesn't matter. The bluff's the thing, and so it turns out that I'm no better than the most bumptious Rotarian. Not so good, in fact, for at least he is no pretender." He crumpled it and flung it across the room. He tried again and again, each time with the same result. If she had a scrap of intuition, she would see through any one of them as easily as through a clear window. It was no good. They didn't sound like him. They weren't him. Oh, what the hell! He took another piece of paper and wrote, Dear Roy, I can't do it. If my failure to write the letter I promised to write puts me utterly in the wrong, from your point of view, I shall have to accept it. Chloe would never in the world believe the letters I've been trying to write. They were jokes, and pretty poor ones at that. They would only cause her, and ultimately you, more unhappiness. I'm sorry. Kurt. He slammed the desk shut. As he did so, he heard his mother's voice below. Kurt. Kurt, dear. He couldn't go. And yet he opened his door and went quietly down, the letter in his hand. She was on the Davenport, her lap full of mending. See here, boy. What's wrong? What happened in Grand Rapids this morning? Nothing. Nothing. Yes, Kurt. You've not been yourself at all since you got back. Come, sit down here. She pointed to the space beside her, moving her sewing basket. Oh, please, Mother. Why not? It surged in him to be told. He felt, sitting beside her, like a little boy again, her little boy who had come home breathless and silent and afraid. I went to Grand Rapids, really, Mother, to see Roy. Mrs. Gray's hand fluttered to her throat. She was white. Roy? Roy, Chloe's husband. Yes, what's the matter, mother? She looked ill. My heart, just a moment. You startled me so. What? Tell me about it, dear, please. Chloe's going to get a divorce. You knew that. Roy says she's, she thinks she's in love with me. His heart hammered, and suddenly his head went to her lap, and he sobbed terribly. All the uncertainty and fear came flooding out, and he didn't care and was not ashamed. Her arms covered him protectingly, and she crooned consolingly little boy words until he was quieter. He told her all of it, then, lying with his head against the softness of her. When he had finished, she was silent for a long time, stroking his hair. It will all be all right, Kurt, she said at last. Chloe shouldn't have said that. Under any consideration, even if it were true, I can't forgive that. But people do so. But people do uncalled-for things sometimes. Once, she hesitated. I've never told anyone this, Kurt. Not even your father. But one time, about a year after we were married, someone knocked at the door. This very old house. It was. I was sewing, as I am now, in this room. It was one of our best friends. He came in, why shouldn't he, and before I knew what was happening, fell on his knees, asked me to run away with him, said he couldn't live without me. I felt very much as you do now, Kurt. I got him away somehow, told him he was being very foolish, and never to think of such a thing again. It all seems silly now, but he's still a good friend of your father's, and getting bald and fat. But such things do happen. You're good-looking, Kurt. Women are bound to like you, maybe even to run after you, so it pays to be careful always. How strange! His mother! He tried to accept it, but it was hard to see her in this room, puzzled as he was now, and, he reflected, much more certain of the rightness of what she did. But she was in love, and was loved, and unquestioning of either. For him the problem was distorted in ways she could never understand Chloe loving him if she really did and he loving her brother and Derry loving only his mercuric self a strange triangle this was ever such a situation before someone will be brave enough to write such a thing some day to be believed and to escape unscathed not now he kissed his mother and went out to mail the letter. That night, he wrote, Dear Chloe, I've been thinking about you, you and what you told me the other night. I'm sorry it is so, but the decision is yours irrevocably, isn't it? And I'm confident you'll do the right thing. Unless I hear from you to the contrary, I shall know that you're going ahead. If you do, I'd suggest that you do not write to me again until everything is settled. It may spare you some unpleasantness, for people talk so easily. It's too bad that it is so, but it is. Doesn't this seem wise? It may be hard to be wise or prudent at such a time, and possibly my letters might bring you some cheer during these trying days, but you can forgo them, and I will forgo yours, and then, some day, they can start all over. Love, Kurt. Nothing more came from Chloe. From Roy, the day before his return to New York, came a brief note. Dear Gray, I knew when you told me you hadn't written that I was all up. I don't blame you. I guess there was no help for it. I hate like hell to sit idle under a charge of non-support, but it seems to be the best way out now. I won't contest. Roy. When he got to his room in New York, there was a small pile of mail waiting for him, and on top a telegram. It was from Chloe, and said only, You are right, no letters until March. End of part two, chapter six.